Turn your Bible, please, to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi, the first chapter. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 1. We studied the entire book of Malachi in Sunday school this morning. And I want to lay on our hearts a special text in verse 11. But in order to get this before us, we want to read all 14, chap all 14 verses. All 14 verses. So open your Bible, please, to Malachi chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. May we pray together. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for everything that has blessed our hearts in this service already. We pray for the other services that are going on in this building right now, that Thou wilt guide the men who stand to preach. And may Jesus be exalted. May the Word of God be made clear. We pray that those who are not saved will come to Jesus today. In Christ's precious name, may the Holy Spirit do His office work. Amen. The Burden of the Word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord, Yet ye say, In what way hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the jackals of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down. They shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau, and there are no more Edomites today. They're all gone. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, The Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts unto you? O priests that despise my name. And ye say, in what way have we despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, in what way have we offered polluted bread? Or have we polluted thee? In that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now to thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee, or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? And now I pray you, beseech God that he will be gracious unto you. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for nothing? Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for nothing. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering in your hand. For from the rising of the sun even until the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the nations. 
And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit of it, even its food, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have sniffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye have brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, who hath in his flock a male, and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is terrible among the nations. Verse 11 is the text this morning. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the nations, and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, saith the Lord of hosts. Malachi lived in the years 435 to 425 B.C. This was the prime part of his ministry. 425 years before the coming of Christ, Malachi closed his book and sat down. And for 425 years, there was no message from God to Israel. These are called the 400 silent years. Malachi is the last of the writing apostles or writing prophets of the Old Testament. John the Baptist is the last of the Old Testament prophets. You say, how can John the Baptist be the last of the Old Testament prophets when he's recorded in the New Testament? He was the forerunner of Christ. He had all the credentials of an Old Testament prophet. Even though you read about him in Matthew and Mark and Luke, it is John the Baptist who stands as the last of the Old Testament prophets. But for 400 years before John the Baptist, there had been no writing prophet. And Malachi had heralded his message to the people of God in the year 435 to 425. Malachi was a contemporary of Nehemiah. It was a time in Israel's history when the long captivity was over. Israel had gone into Babylonian captivity because she had failed to keep the Sabbaths of the Lord and because sin was rampant in the land. And when God had sent His prophets and priests and his laymen to wave, as it were, a red flag in the face of Israel, they had rejected the message of God. And so Israel had gone into captivity in 721 B.C. And in the year 585, Judah fell to the hands of the Babylonians. And for 70 years, Judah, the Jews, were in captivity in the land of Babylon. But now they had come back under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel 
and some of the others. And in that city of Jerusalem, the walls had been built. The temple had begun to be built. And then prosperity came. There seems to be one thing that's very, very hard on the people of God, and that's prosperity. It's hard for us to have a good living. It's hard for us to have carpet on our floors, good clothes to wear, a good car to drive. It seems to be difficult for the people of God to have plenty and still keep our eyes on the Lord God. This is what happened in ancient Israel. Because there was prosperity and there was a time of plenty, the people forgot the temple. They forgot the worship of God. They forgot that they were to be a missionary nation to the nations of the world. And so they began to build their own houses. And they spent all their funds and all their money on their clothes and on furniture and on their businesses and on themselves. And they built a strong economy, but they left the work of God impoverished. And God called Malachi to preach at such a time as this, to enumerate and catalog the sins of God's people and say, this is the reason the Lord God will come as a refiner. He will come as a purifier. He will come as a fuller soap. And if you'll not listen to any of this, then he will come as a judge on the sorcery and adultery and witchcraft and all the sins of the people. The temple had been rebuilt so long that the house of God was just common business. And the enthusiasm of the people of God had cooled down. And there was slovenliness about the work of the Lord. And people were giving to God polluted sacrifices, leftover things. Instead of giving to God their best, they gave to God that which was least in their own estimate. I used this illustration in our Sunday school class this morning. It were as if you had bought a loaf of bread about four months ago and you laid it up in the bread tray and mold had gotten all over it and it was just crusty and dry, hardly even look fit to look at, much less to eat. And then yesterday, you went and bought a loaf of bread and put it in your refrigerator. And this afternoon, you go home and Jesus comes to see you. And so you go to your old bread tray and you get that loaf of bread that's three months old and you offer him a piece of that old crusty, moldy bread. And you take the bread out of the icebox and eat it for yourself. Now, that's a picture of what was going on in the day of Malachi. And that's all too often a picture of what goes on in our day. When we offer to God the leftovers, we offer to God the polluted parts, we give to God that which is not very important to us. The whole theme of Malachi is that Christ is coming. Behold, I will send my messenger who shall prepare the way before me. And the messenger of the covenant shall suddenly come to the temple. The Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant whom ye delight in, the only shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, but who may abide the day of his coming?
He is coming as a refiner. He is coming as a purifier. He is coming as a fuller soap. He is coming to look into the depths of our hearts. And if we do not repent, if we do not turn to Him, then He comes as a judge. Divorce was rampant. Intermarriage between believers and non-believers was a thing of the day in Malachi's day. And so it is today. Somehow young people fail to understand that God says to those who are His own, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It is never God's will for a teenage Christian girl to date a boy that isn't a Christian. It is never God's will for a teenage Christian boy to date a girl that isn't a Christian. And it certainly is not the will of God, according to the Word of God. And you may not like what I say this morning, but it is not the will of God that there be an unholy alliance of marriage between a man who is saved and a woman who is unsaved, or a woman who is saved and a man who is unsaved. But this was going on in the day of Malachi. It was one of the sins of the day. And people were marrying and giving in marriage with the idea, well, if it doesn't work, I can get a divorce. And so divorce was on the rampant. We're living in an age when one out of every three marriages ends in a divorce. And we're so close to the time when one out of every two marriages ends in a divorce. If you look at the court proceedings, I don't know about today's paper, I haven't read it, but almost every Sunday when you read the court recordings, you'll see more divorce granted more uh, applications for divorce and the annulments and the dis disarrangements of marriage than you see for marriage licenses. And it's that way all across America. We're living in an age when men do not take seriously the covenant they enter into at marriage. This was one of the sins. This was one of the evidences of, of, the, of the fact that God was going to have to come in judgment. God said, I love you. They said, we don't believe you love us. How do we know you love us? God said, I want to prove my love to you. And so God, God's providential care was an evidence of God's love. A subtitle of today's message might be Love Unlimited. God so loved. In verse 2, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet you say, in what? In what way hast thou loved us? And God gives an illustration between Esau and Jacob. These were twin sons. Esau was the eldest. Jacob was, was the youngest. In Israel's history, it was always God's plan that the inheritance go to the eldest son. But with Esau and Jacob, God rejected Esau and gave the inheritance to Jacob. And God said, Israel, that's one of the evidences that I love you because I have chosen you to be a missionary nation to the world, that the world through you might hear about God. The same thing is true today. Everyone within the sound of my voice today has been chosen by God to hear the Word of God. You are part of God's elect, else you would not be hearing the Word of God. You think of the millions of earth today who cannot go to church, who cannot listen to the Word of God, who cannot turn on the radio and hear somebody preaching from the Word of God. Why can you? Why are you here today? 
Why are you privileged? Because God loves you. And God has set his affections upon you. And God wants you to hear the word of God so you can turn from sin, turn from your wayward ways, and turn to God and know how much God loves you. This is one of the evidences. God said, Esau have I rejected, but Jacob have I loved. We have not the time, nor is this the place this morning to go into the doctrine of election. But suffice it to say, God demonstrated his love by setting Israel aside for a special mandate, a special purpose. And then we read that God is long-suffering in His love. Look at verses 12 and 13. Ye have profaned it, in that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit of it, even His food, is contemptible. Ye said also, Behold, what a weariness is it! And ye have sniffed at it, saith the Lord. And ye have brought it that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick, Thus ye brought an offering. Shall I accept this at your hand, says the Lord? You've treated me with contempt, and yet I have had long-suffering love toward you. I heard about an atheist who scoffed at God. He said, God, if there's really a God, you just strike me down dead right now. And he waited a little while. There was some very wise lady in the crowd, and she came up and said to him, you got any children? And he said, yes, I have children. She said, how would you react if your little boy would come up and say, Daddy, strike me down dead right now. What would you do? He said, I never thought of it like that. Do you suppose God who has demonstrated his love even to the scoffers, even to the skeptics, even to the atheists, who when they revile against him and say, I don't believe in you, God still is long-suffering in his goodness. Do you suppose that God of love is just going to strike him off like that? No, God warns. He said, "My, the Bible says, God is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. God is long-suffering, but there comes a day when God's long-suffering patience will all be expired. God desires a response to this love. In verse 6, he says, If then I be a father, where is mine honor? If I be a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts? O priest that despise my name. And you say, in what way have we despised thy name? God wants honor. What kind of honor? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. What God really wants is not for us to go offers him, offer him some kind of a sacrifice. He doesn't want us to go out and kill an animal and bring the blood and put it on the altar. What God wants is for us to have a humble heart before Him, to come in humility, yielding our allegiance, our loyalty, laying down our arms and saying, Lord, I yield to Thee. Last of all, this Scripture speaks of a day when his love will be spread across the whole world. 
God says, I love you. The people say, where do you, how do you love us? We don't know whether you love us or not. And God says, all right, I'll demonstrate it. I'll prove it. And in chapter 3, the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Jesus came to prove God's love. Secondly, God says, I want a response to my love. If I'm a father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where is my service? And thirdly, God says, there's coming a day when my love will be spread across the whole world. For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the nations. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name. And a pure offering for my name shall be great. For my name shall be great among the nations, saith the Lord. <clears throat> We're living in the time of the greatest missionary operation, the missionary outreach the world has ever known. From the year 600 to 1600, the world knew very little about missions. There was the spread of a church, but it was a political church, a church that would move into a state and take over the state government. And everybody in that state, everybody in that nation would have to bow and scrape before that, that, that state church. That was not missions. That was the expansion of the political Holy See. From the year 600 to 1600, there was no great missionary movement. And then William Carey, reading the scriptures, became aware that we are responsible for the souls of India, for the souls of the world. And he said to those who worked with him, it is God's will for me to go. It is God's will for you to send me because, and using this scripture, from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the nations. And William Carey, quoting from Romans 10, said, How shall they believe on him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? And so we find tucked away in the first chapter of Malachi, 400 years before Christ, a great missionary imperative that says the love of God is to be spread across the world. And you and I are to take that message, that glorious message. There are young men and young women in this room this morning to whom will be committed the oracles of God to take the missionary message to Africa, over to Japan, down to the South Sea Islands, over into the Near East, into Israel and Jordan and Lebanon, and down into Egypt and Ethiopia and Libya, and to take the glorious gospel to the ends of the earth. This is the missionary mandate. For from the rising of the sun, even to the going down of the same, my name shall be great, and the nations shall hear of God's wonderful love. The great world's heart is aching, aching fiercely in the night, and God alone can heal it, and God alone give light. And the men to bear the message and to speak the living word are you and I, my brother, and the millions that have heard. Can we close our eyes to duty? Can we fold our hands at ease while the gates of night stand open to the pathway of the seas? It is God's will for us with a heart of flame filled with the love of God to go and plant the glorious gospel in gospel beachheads around the world. We can do some of that 
through the giving of $1,000 for world missions during the month of December. We can do some of that through giving more than that $1,000. We can give some of that through the giving of our tithes and offerings. We can do some of that through our personal soul winning as we go from door to door in this city. We can do some of that as we send out our buses across the city to bring them in, bring precious people in. But I want to tell you the thing that really will bless God is not for us to just send others, but for us to go. I believe God has some people in this church whom He wants to use as missionaries on foreign shores, taking the glorious gospel out. There's a sense in which every Thursday night when we gather to go out soul winning, that missionaries gather. And we go out on Blake Street and Rose Lawn and Small House and Woodlawn and Woodland and across the streets and across the bypass and down on 12th and 13th and over on Woodford and across the city we go knocking on doors telling people God loves you God loves you God loves you that's missionary that's missions and it would be sheer hypocrisy for this church to give ten thousand dollars or a million dollars to help the people in Africa or to help the people in Japan or around the world if we're not willing to go to our next door neighbors and the people in this very city. And so that's missions. That's missionary mandate. And when our buses go out, that's missions taking the glorious gospel to the ends of this city. There is no greater missionary program anywhere than taking the glorious gospel eyeball to eyeball, person to person, going and saying God loves you, God loves you and he wants to save you. That's missions. And I believe God is calling somebody from this place to say not only will I go over on Roselawn and not only will I go over on McElroy, not only will I go on 12th and 13th and University and all of those other places, but Lord, if you could use me, I'll go to Japan. Lord, if you can use me, I'll go to Africa. Lord, if you could use me, I'll go to Brazil. Lord, if you could use me, I'll go to the ends of the earth. Here's my life. Take it and use it. And when you say that to the Lord, God takes you seriously. Now listen, don't say that unless you mean it. It may mean times of loneliness. It may mean times of discouragement and despair. It may mean times of impoverishment. It may even mean that you pledge your neck. For we're living in a time when mission compounds and mission doors are closing around the world. And it may be that someone from this very audience this morning, either by radio or here in the visible auditorium, somebody will hear the voice of God beyond the voice of the preacher. And deep inside your soul, you'll say, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Send me. And God will send you, and you may never come back. The door may close on you there. When the communists began to take over China, our foreign mission board told all of our missionaries to come out. Many of them came out, but some said, no, I must stay. God has given me a work to do. Among those who said I must stay was Bill Wallace. 
Bill Wallace, who ran that little hospital at Wu Chow, stayed until one day they arrested him. They took him to prison and tortured him and, and put marks all over his body and all over his throat and tried to get him to recant his faith in Christ and confess that he was a spy of the American government, which he He never came back to Knoxville. He's buried over at Wu Chow. But what a monument, just a little tiny monument erected over his grave, Bill Wallace, for to me to live as Christ. But what a monument. All across the world, men, women have heard about that story and have said, here, Lord, I'll go. I'll go as a replacement for Bill Wallace to tell the world that God loves them. For from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, my name shall be great. God does not save us so we can wear pretty clothes or wear, drive good cars or live in good homes. I think that's part of it. I think God will take care of us if we trust him. I really do. I don't believe God gets pleased when we have to wear rags and wear old shoes that have holes in them and drive an old tin Lizzie. I believe God will take care of his own. I believe that. I believe God's people will want to do the best they can, wear the best they can. If the best you've got to wear to church is overalls, wear them. If you've got some nice pants and nice clothes, wear them. Wear the best you've got for God, amen? I don't have much patience with people that purposely see how dirty and ugly they can look when they come to God's house, nor do I have any patience with people who look down at others because they don't have to wear what they have to wear. But we ought to do the best we can, wear the best we can. But I believe God does not promise that all of us will have the same economy. That's the reason I'm not a communist. God does not promise that we'll all have the same economy. God does not promise that we'll all have the same things. God did say, I'll take care of you. I'll meet your needs. But I want to tell you, we're saved for far more than to have our needs met. We're saved to serve. We're saved to take the glorious gospel to the ends of the earth. Israel forgot that. And as a result, God had to bring judgment. And for years and years and years, there was no nation of Israel. America could forget. You and I could forget. Glendale Baptist Church could forget. Oh, God, help us to have a great heart for the love of God, for the work of God. Help us to give and give and give until there's nothing more to give. Help us to go and go and go until God promotes us to his home. God loves. That's the message of Malachi. But how much does he love? If you want to know how much he loves, look at providence. Everybody in this room has come within just a hair's breadth of death. If you've driven a car to this church this morning, just a hair's breadth of death. Maybe just God turned the steering wheel so that you didn't collide with somebody. You don't know how much God loves? Look at his sun and moon and stars. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee, how great thou art. God loves. You really want to know how much he loves? Well, you have to look at Calvary. Come with me to Jerusalem. 
and see that meek son of righteousness who hath risen with healing in his wings. He went to Gethsemane to pray, not my will but thine be done. And they came to that garden with sticks and staves and torches and lances as if to arrest a common criminal. And they took Jesus across the brook Kidron. They took him to Annas and Caiaphas and to Pilate and to Herod and back to Pilate. And Pilate thought to free himself by saying, I find no fault in this man. And nevertheless, he delivered him over to the Jews. They flogged him. They beat him. They whipped him. They smacked him. They pulled out his beard. He gave his back to the smiters. And this son of God, this son of righteousness, was led out to the cross. And there between heaven and earth, he was put on a cross between two thieves, the matchless, meek, righteous, holy Son of God. And as he died with his hands nailed and a spear in his side, he looked into the face of God the Father and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was love, love outpoured at Calvary. And that love is enough to cleanse you from every sin. That love is enough to receive you into heaven. That love is enough to make you a new man, a new woman, a new boy, a new girl. And when you have been made new by the blood of Christ, then take that glorious message to the world. May we pray. <clears throat> Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the love of God poured out at Calvary demonstrated in our very lives, preached in the Word of God. And now we pray that someone in this place who has never been saved will come to Christ. Someone whose church membership is in some other church will come today and say, I want to be part of Glendale Baptist Church. And Lord, I pray that you'll touch some young man, some young woman who would be willing to say, if none go with me, I still will follow. I want to put my life on the line. If God wants me as a missionary, I'll begin as a soul winner here at home, and then I'll go, I'll go for God wherever he leads. In Jesus' name we ask it, amen. May we stand, please. <clears throat> We're going to sing God's invitation in just a moment. I'd like to request that no one move around, no one leave as we sing. This is God's invitation. The Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. Will you let him have his way with you, whatever it means? If you're here without Jesus, you've never received him as your personal Savior, open your heart to him today. God help you to do that. If your membership is in some other church and God wants you at Glendale, I plead with you to come today. Don't put that off. Just step right on out for him. Take a stand for him. And if God has his hand on your life, if God wants you to do something with your life, would you be willing to come and say, Lord, here it is. I offer it to you. Use me. I'll go wherever you lead me. While we begin to sing and we pray, who will come first for Christ?